Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, provided by Living Stream Ministry and featuring the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. Witness Lee served the Lord faithfully for more than 70 years, culminating with his exhaustive commentary on the entire scriptures called Life Study of the Bible. We're happy to bring you recorded excerpts from his ministry. At the end of the program, we'll give you the website where you can find out more about the remarkable ministry of these two men. But for now, we hope you enjoy today's program. The Old Testament book of Exodus speaks of a covenant between God and man, and this covenant was ratified by blood. In the New Testament, the Lord Jesus speaks of a new covenant in Luke chapter 22, and once again, the covenant is connected to the shedding of blood. And finally, in Hebrews, the writer speaks of an eternal covenant, enacted and ratified by the offering of eternal blood. What is the relationship between these covenants and the blood that enacts and ratifies them? Today we bring you our fourth program recorded on our trip to Israel and the Middle East. And Ron Kangas has joined me as we come very close to a conclusion of this life study of Exodus, at least part one. It's been an incredible journey, hasn't it? It has been an amazing journey in light of the very things we have been ministering in this life study. In recent days, a number of us have been fellowshipping about what we may call a dispensational change brought about by the ministry of the Lord Jesus. And by dispensational change, we mean the ending, the terminating of the old covenant and the introducing of the new covenant through the redeeming death of Christ that actually through his entire ministry, the Lord was doing so many things to indicate that he had come not to abolish the old, but to fulfill it. But having fulfilled it, he is here to replace it and to bring in a better covenant, a new covenant, which is the reality of so many things portrayed in the old covenant. One thing that has impressed me very much is to see by examining the religious situation in Jerusalem. Actually, how few of those who declare themselves to be Christians have a proper biblical understanding of this dispensational change and are anywhere close to what is revealed in the New Testament concerning the believer's experience of the new covenant so I'm very happy at the end of this journey to share in some fellowship on the blood as the blood of the covenant, hopefully to point the way to our listeners to reconsider the New Testament revelation concerning the relationship between the blood and the covenant. According to the Bible, a covenant requires sacrifices for the covenant to be enacted and ratified, and those sacrifices imply the shedding of blood. So in Exodus 24, for the enacting of the Old Covenant, there is the shedding of the blood of the sacrifices. Of course, that's animal blood. It's merely a type 
a picture of the real thing, which is found in the person and work of the Lord Jesus, who is the fulfillment of all the sacrifices, because he is the unique, all-inclusive sacrifice. Hebrews speaks of the better blood, which is the blood of Jesus. And Luke 22 that you mentioned, and Hebrews 13, speak of the blood in relation to the covenant. The new covenant with all these bequests could not have been enacted without the blood of Jesus being the blood of the covenant. But as we will see, once this blood has been shed and the covenant has been enacted and ratified, it then becomes binding not only on man's side, but especially on God's side. And God is bound by his righteousness expressed in his covenant to give all of the items of this covenant to his people for their experience and enjoyment. Ron, I can't help but make a comment. As you brought up, the striking thing that I'm left with after the two days that we've had in Jerusalem particularly, the religious symbols that are present here, both of Judaism and of Christianity, and several varieties of Christianity are so vividly displayed here. The impression is, is that these two covenants are very mixed together here. It's very difficult in this setting to see a clear distinguishing between the one and the other. And as this is fitting at this point, because the Apostle Paul, back in the first century, was confronted with that same dilemma, wasn't he, when he came to Jerusalem and was dealing with the situation here. The two covenants were not that clearly distinguished at that time either. And it seems that for 2,000 years, not much has changed here. Paul was fighting for the truth of the gospel. He uses that expression twice. It was necessary for him even to confront Peter over this matter and to deal with the Judaizers who were bringing in a mixture and luring the believers back to the old covenant. This is an extremely critical matter in Paul's ministry and in his own experience. So Paul was fighting for this Throughout his ministry, it seems that he was chosen by God, at least in part specifically, to effect, to work out this dispensational change. And he himself had to go through a lot of experiences and to receive a lot of revelation and divine constituting in order himself to make the full change. But he did, and he left the writings of so many epistles that are part of the New Testament that reveal to us God's new covenant. We respect and even we love the earnest, godly, pious, religious Jews holding to the letter of the law and to so many traditions. But it's so clear that they are still fully under the old covenant. Then in various Christian things, really without exception, there is just mixture and even where there may not be that much mixture, there's only an elementary testimony of the full revelation of the new covenant as you have it in the New Testament, especially in Hebrews. So this line of fellowship is extremely critical unless today's Christians are content to remain Old Testament Christians by which I mean they are real believers, redeemed by the blood, regenerated by the Spirit, 
but yet actually and practically are living under old covenant concepts and influences and have not entered into the full enjoyment and experience of all that is ours in the new covenant based upon the blood of Jesus. Well, we have the giving of the covenant by Moses to the people and its enactment with an altar, with pillars, with sacrifices, and with blood. And today, particularly, we want to focus on this matter of the blood of the covenant. Let's join Witness Lee. After Exodus, you have a long record of the children of Israel. They all didn't make it to observe the law. So eventually, God came in. I'll make another covenant with you. And in this covenant, I will give you a new heart. I'll change your nature. You cannot keep my love, forget about it. I will change your heart. And I will give you a new spirit. You need a rebirth. You need a reconstitution. Regeneration. And then I will put my spirit. And who is my spirit? That's myself. I just will put myself into you. In Jeremiah 31, God told them, this time I will impart my love into your inner being. And I will scribe my love on your heart. The inner love, not our love. New heart, a new spirit, and my spirit, and the inner love. No doubt, this is the love of life. God's nature, God's life, and God himself all would be put into our being. Actually, with all of us, all the things have been put into our being. Don't you have a new heart? Don't you have a new spirit? Don't you have God's spirit, God himself? These are just God himself coming to you to impart his nature into you, to impart his life into you. Could you see this? And to impart his nature and life as the regulating law into you. You do have a regulating Amen. organic factor within you. And this is the inner law of life. Hallelujah. These are the better things. Well, Ron, we've just heard a marvelous introduction of the promise of the coming new covenant by Witness Lee three things that are included in the new covenant and that is a new heart a new spirit and my spirit all three god promises to put within the recipients of the new covenant how do you distinguish between these three items it is really not hard to distinguish them if we are willing to lay aside our concepts and opinions and whatever religious influences that may have shaped our understanding and simply read the Bible and allow it to speak in its own words. God says he will give us a new heart. And then he talks about giving us a new spirit. The heart and the spirit are not the same. According to the complete revelation of the scriptures, human beings are composed of three main parts, body, soul, and spirit. We're clear the body is the physical part, 
And the soul is some kind of inward part. But the soul is an inward part in the sense of being a psychological part. And the soul includes the mind as its main part, the will and the emotion. The spirit, that is the human spirit, is not a part of the soul. That's not a synonym of the soul. It is a particular organ created by God when he breathed into man the breath of life. And the breath of life breathed out by God became the spirit of man within man as the organ to contact God, receive God, and contain God. So the spirit is different from the soul and the soul is different from the body. But we need to distinguish between the spirit and the heart. These also are not synonymous terms. Man is of three parts, spirit, soul, and body. If we study the Bible carefully and in detail, we will see the heart is not a fourth part. It is a composition, rather, of the three parts of the soul plus the conscience of the spirit. When the conscience operates with the soul, with the mind, will, and emotion, we have the heart. And the heart primarily is an organ of loving. We talk about loving with our heart. If it's dinner time and you're being served a very healthy meal, you may say, oh, I love that. Well, you love that with your heart. But in order to get that meal which you love into you, you must use another organ. Loving it will not enable you to receive it. So obviously you have to use your hands and your mouth. I use this illustration to point out that although we love God with our heart, we don't receive him with our heart. We may receive him into our heart. Eventually he comes into our spirit. But our spirit is the organ that contacts God directly. John 4.24, God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit, the human spirit. It takes spirit to contact spirit. It takes spirit to receive spirit. It takes spirit to contain spirit. So the Lord will give us a new heart, a pure, loving heart, absolutely for him. The Lord will give us a new spirit in the sense that he will regenerate our God-created human spirit, which became deadened and dormant through the fall into sin. So based upon Christ's redemption, the Spirit of God comes into the believer's spirit and regenerates it, causing the human spirit to be a new spirit. Now, the third matter is my spirit, which is actually a quote referring to God's spirit. So this is God himself as the spirit reaching us, coming into our new spirit, our regenerated spirit. So the Lord in his economy really intends to do a wonderful inward work. And for this, based upon his redemption, based upon the forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus, the Lord works upon us to make our old heart 
a new heart, to cause our spirit to become a new spirit, and to put his very spirit into our regenerated human spirit to make the two spirits one. This is what Paul speaks of in 1 Corinthians 6.17. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. And Paul refers to this in 2 Timothy 4.22. The Lord be with your spirit. And Romans 8.16 says the spirit witnesses with our spirit. We have a new heart. We have a new human spirit regenerated by God. And in this new, this regenerated spirit, we have God himself as the spirit, one with our spirit, joined with our spirit, and mingled with our spirit. This is surely a marvelous provision of God through the blood of the covenant. Well, Ron, as you mentioned, all of these aspects point to something very inward. Yet, as we have talked about before on this broadcast, uh, Israel, when they first were confronted with the covenant, took it in an altogether outward way. And that led to much consternation, much difficulty for them, and uh, probably tried the patience of God himself to some degree until he foretold of this inward aspect of the covenant that was to come. And we want to see something additionally very inward, very marvelous, and very experiential related to this new covenant. Let's go on with Witness Lee. The blood of the sacrifices in the Old Testament was a type of the blood of Christ of the new covenant. This blood redeemed us and uh, it brings us to the tree of life. Today and forever we have the right to eat the tree of life Amen. by the washing of the blood and for eternity. Revelation 22:14 refers to eternity but today we are in this enjoyment in the enjoyment of the tree of life. And we know who is the tree of life. That is just God himself as life to us. What brings us here? The blood of Christ. Then leading us to the waters of life. My, do you still remember what John 7 says? Those who are theirs come to me and drink. Then out of them flows the rivers of living water. Amen. Now we are here drinking the waters of life Amen. through the blood. Amen. We all have this experience. Today we are eating the tree, we are drinking the water of life, then ushering us into the hood of holies. Hallelujah. Amen. Hebrew 10 is a fulfillment of Leviticus 16. Leviticus 16 was a type. Now in Hebrew 10, we are told the blood of Jesus opens the way and brings us into the Holy of Holies. And now every day we are in the Holy of Holies. Every day we are here enjoying God. Every day we are here with God. Every day we are here under God's infusion and transfusion then making us to serve the living God how could we serve the living God if we don't have life if we are still dead without life how could we serve the living God hallelujah this redeeming blood has given us 
life. Then it has brought us here to serve the living God. Then bring us into the temple of God to enjoy God forever, for eternity. This is the function of the blood of the covenant. Amen. Now, do you treasure the blood of the covenant? Hallelujah. I treasure it. What blessing this blood has brought us into. Amen. God himself, divine life, Amen. divine nature, Amen. and the inner love, and the ability of life. Amen. My dear saints, you must realize this is not just the cleansing blood. This is not just the washing blood. This is the blood of the covenant that brings us into God, into his divine life, into his divine nature, into his inner law, into the divine ability, into the transfusion and the infusion of God himself. Hallelujah. This is the function of the blood of the covenant. Ron, we heard a marvelous portion right at the end of the sharing here. And that is related to this new covenant, Ron. And in this new covenant, all that God has ordained has been covenanted to be our portion. Let me ask you about this phrase particularly. It's quite intriguing. What is our portion covenanted to us in the new covenant? A covenant is a kind of agreement between two parties. Once the covenant is enacted, it's binding. And although on the human side, fallen human beings were not faithful to the old covenant, God is a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. When God makes a covenant, he keeps it. The covenant is enacted with the blood. The old covenant in Exodus 24 was enacted with the blood of the sacrifices. The new covenant, which is the better covenant, which is the eternal covenant, was enacted with better blood, the blood of Jesus. So the Lord said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. God, through the redeeming death of Christ, a death that involved the shedding of his precious blood, God has made a new covenant. It is now irrevocable. What is actually bequeathed to us? In essence, it is God himself as our portion. This is marvelous. God wants to be our portion in Christ as the Spirit for our experience and enjoyment eternally. So God from eternity past foreordained us to be his heirs and to be those that would experience him and enjoy him. As a result of enacting the covenant, God is now bound and he enjoys being held to the covenant to give himself to us as our portion. What this really means is this. The forgiveness of sins is most precious. It's the first word of the gospel. He shed his blood that our sins would be forgiven. 
Hebrews tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. For eternity, we will appreciate the forgiveness of sins through the shedding of the blood of Jesus. Having said that, we want to point out a profound matter in the scriptures, and that is the blood of the new covenant is not primarily for the forgiveness of sins. The blood of the covenant is primarily to prepare the way and to make it possible for the righteous, holy God of glory to be our portion. The blood not only brings us the forgiveness of sins, the blood brings us God. The blood gives us the right to enjoy God, to experience God. This is what Revelation 22:14 is saying when it tells us, blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life. The tree of life is God as our life and our life supply. So this is, to me, the great light in this message. Thank you, Ron, for your fellowship. For Ron Kangas today, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. To discover more of what Living Stream has to offer, please visit ministrybooks.org. From there, you'll be able to read over 600 titles by Witness Lee and Watchman Nee online and free of charge. Again, the website, ministrybooks.org. Thanks for listening today.